to the community of Columbus. Thank you for always supporting me and providing the resources for me to be successful. With that being said, I'll be committing to the University of Nebraska. Go Big Red. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, Honky, and I'm with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Got a special episode for you today. We are joined by Brett Ciancia. Uh, he talks to us a little bit about Husker football, the national scene, the Big Ten, and uh, Honky and I go a little bit into uh, recruiting this year. Pick six previews, man. I mean, what Brett has done there, uh, this is our third chance to talk with him on the show, Mac. Just amazing. I mean, we'll get his full bio when we talk to him, but the guy was one of 10 voters yeah. for All-American list. He's a Heisman guy. I mean, this dude. It's like the perfect American story. A guy who mm-hmm. grind. he has a passion. He grinds it out. He carves himself a little role into the national scene. It's always a joy to talk to him. Such humility, such depth of knowledge. Uh, it's always one of the highlights of the season. Well, you know, normally we would have a obviously a show with Boomer and Dave on. We would break down the previous week. Uh, we're not going to get a chance this week to do that. But we would be remiss if we didn't mention, and we had on the intro, the first recruit of the 2022 right. class signed. Uh, he is from a town that is very uh, near and dear to our hearts, Columbus. Yep, yep. Uh, Ernest Hausman. Yes. Uh, so, Mac, uh, what do we know about Ernest? Ernest Hausman, 10 County. This is a guy, it, first off, fantastic to get him. It's great to get the 2022 class started uh, with a local guy. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the local media and, the, and you know, with the state media about – uh, not getting those Omaha kids, so it's nice to get a, you know, people like to call Columbus Western Nebraska. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll call it Western Nebraska, but it's nice to get this kid's going to end up probably being a four star. He's an interesting athlete because he's a, he's about six three, two ten, two two fifteen. He's an outside linebacker, very fluid athlete. Um, he started out his high school career at corner, mm-hmm. and then moved up to to outside linebacker. It sounds like a. Listening to uh, their their coach recently, they they had him on the uh, Husker Online podcast. He's going to be moving the inside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Right now, he's running around 6'3", 218. Very fluid, very explosive athlete. There, I've seen a, a number of interviews with him. Focused individual. He is goal-oriented. And um, hats off to, to Barrett Rude. Actually, hats off to the entire staff. One of the mm-hmm. things he mentioned about his recruiting was he felt like there was a connection with with damn near everybody on the staff, from Barrett Rude to Scott Frost, like all the way through. So um, fantastic to get him on board in a position of need. Uh, it's not quite clear if he's going to grow anymore or not, but at his frame right now, we can use him on a number of positions. Um, mm-hmm. I got a chance to see him last year doing high school football. Um, I could tell right away this guy is going to be – he's a little bit different. He's so good that he plays wide receiver – for Columbus as well as linebackers. So um, if you're going to kick off the the recruiting season, and we all know this is going to be a difficult year for Nebraska to recruit because of the extended dead period and, and COVID still lingering over it. Um, really good to get this guy on board. 
hopefully he gets the ball rolling and we get a few more guys committed as we go forward. You well, know, you know, we, Mac, he said that. He he wants to play a, a big part in being kind of the catalyst now yeah. to getting this class going. And you mentioned it with the Omaha guys, you know, the in-state recruiting. A lot of talk is going to be over there, and I, I get it. But this, to me, just solidifies how much depth there is in this state, mm-hmm. that you can go to Columbus to get the ball rolling. Yeah. We've talked about it with Frost over the course of the last three years. He's gone to Scott's Bluff, to, right. uh, to Norfolk, to York, to Kearney to get a quarterback. Right. You know, he's solidified a center from Beatrice. You know, he's already offered a tight end from Pierce, right? I mean, there's talent in Omaha, obviously, but there's talent outside of that. We've also last week mentioned all the guys at Lincoln Southeast and hopefully, you know, getting a little bit of a pipeline back to that school too. So... And the other thing with Hausman, this is another one of those examples where we didn't just get him over. It wasn't just Nebraska and South Dakota right. that it came down to. Great point. I mean, we're talking Michigan. We're talking Michigan State. We're talking Pat Fitzgerald. Remember, he only mm-hmm. offers real offers. Remember yeah. that, Mac. Yeah. That's it. Well, we one of those is it a committable offer? <laughs> one of those committable offers yeah. to Northwestern. Yep. Pick Nebraska over Northwestern, and for all the right reasons, I couldn't be happier for for Ernest. I think he's gonna. Be a very successful player at Nebraska, and I, I'm excited to see what he does now as that number one in this class, yeah. and does he help you know bring in some of those, those other guys? And always appreciate a guy who who ends the process quickly. I don't feel like this is one of those kids that's gonna we're gonna have to worry about. No, he, he's gonna roll with us to the end. I, I do feel like he's sort of a cornerstone for the recruiting class that we can build on. It, it's crazy how long it's been since we've got a guy out of Columbus. Uh, to be a, a scholarship, oh. I like. I think it was Tim Carpenter was the last. Uh, well, actually, Brandon Drum probably was because he was ninety five. He was our year. Oh, I mean, just actual scholarship guy out of the out of the Carpenter ten. younger. He was so old. Carpenter was like ninety three. Then you had Schlesinger. You're right, and th- and then there's all those walk ons too yeah. from that time. Jesse Cush and Jeff Lake mm-hmm. and Tessendorf. And well, we had uh, Troy Watchhorn was on the team. Yep. Columbus was a major player. Pat Engelbert, another Mueller, guy. Wasn't there a Mueller? Jake, uh, Jake Mueller from Lakeview? Obviously, Jeff Lake was from Lakeview. They named it after him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was very fast. But the, the point is, it, this is a it's couple... It's a soccer town. This is a couple old guys right now yeah, really yeah, yeah. enjoying the fact that, that our hometown has somebody. In fact, Dave, that's his alma mater, is Columbus High. It's really cool to see players from that town coming Absolutely. back to Nebraska, Absolutely. being a part of the, the program. Uh, you know, it was four or five years ago, Skoda's won the, the title. Mm-hmm. And there was a really good player on the team and didn't get a sniff even as a walk-on from Riley. And that's that's around the time where I was getting frustrated with, with, with you know, the, come on. We've got in-state kids. And at least try to bring him in. And a position to need. He was such an early target for us. I mean, we were the first ones to offer him, which you always talk about. I'm like, the one thing you don't want to do with Nebraska players, Nebraska kids, is slow play him. This staff did not do that. We were the first offer to this kid. You know, he mentioned how the Nebraska staff stayed in contact with him. They almost contact every single day. And he he kept a chart. He's like, you know, he, he almost said, like, yeah, he, checked he, all the he boxes. He checked it off. He's like, okay, who who contacted me this day? Who contacted me this day? Nebraska checked those boxes all the time. And I know I know there's, there's frustration out there on the message boards and on Twitter about how the staff is doing in-state, even though it's just been one year that we've had some <laughs> problems. You psychos. It's ridiculous. <laughs> We're doing fine in state, so just knock it off. But we got the guy we wanted. He was probably our top recruit of this year for this state, and we got him. So, yay, relax. <laughs> well, Mac, we could go on with this for another 
and, hour I, and I could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's other things that we could be talking about too, but we want to hear from Brett. And uh, so let's go ahead. Let's move on. And uh, Redcasters, I think you're going to enjoy this. This is uh, Brett Ciancio yep. with Pick 6 Previews. Yeah, he brings the goods again. All right. Uh, tonight, we welcome back to the Redcast, Brett Ciancio of Pick 6 Previews. Uh, as you're all well aware by now, Redcasters, Brett Publication has been rated the most accurate in the nation by Stassen.com. And you can download a digital copy of it from his website, pick6previews.com. When we spoke last summer, uh, we mentioned how he added Heisman voter to his resume since we had last spoke. Well, this time around, we can add that he was selected last year to the Football Writers Association of America All-American Committee. Uh, Welcome to the Redcast, Brett. Yeah, thanks, Hockey and Mac, for having me back on. Thanks to the whole Redcast, and and thanks to all of Husker Nation, really. Uh, You know, usually we do our one summer kickoff show uh, after my book releases each year, but we're doing an an extra special one here in spring uh, before spring ball really gets going. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to talk. Uh, It's been, you know, it feels like forever ago since we last talked. It was only a few months um, heading into that short 2020 season, but uh, just given everything, it it seems like it's been so long ago. So uh, excited to be talking with you guys again and be back on. But that last thing that I mentioned there, the Football Writers Association of America All-American Committee, that's a pretty cool thing to be on, right? I mean, you you were one of 10 people who met to determine the the 2020 All-American team. Can you explain a little bit what that was all about? Yeah, a great honor. Uh, Like you said, last year I got the Heisman vote, and this year's uh, credential edition was the uh, All-American Committee. So for those that don't know how it works, uh, you hear of, um, you know, unanimous All-Americans and consensus All-Americans. And what that means is out of the five teams nationally, these All-American teams, uh, if you made three of them, you're consensus. If you make all five, you're unanimous. So out of those five teams, uh, you know, the AP does one, the coaches do one. uh, But the one that I'm on is the, the Football Writers Association of America. Uh, FWAA as it's known and there's about 2,000 sports writers football writers nationwide that are members uh, but that gets whittled down to about 12 guys that really get together we meet um, well this year was virtual and uh, hammer out the all-american team so quite an honor you know 12 out of 2,000 members Um, and what it is really is you have a guy or two from each conference come on and kind of pitch candidates from each region and each conference you know you go position by position um, and then we all we all vote on at the end of each pitch, and the only national guys on there are me and Phil Steele. So uh, it's it's great company. Um, you know, the, you know the, the best in the sport are in there. It's it's an honor, uh, and just it, it's great from the national scope because I can kind of sit back and watch everyone present. Uh, you know, make their case for their players, and then vote at the end. So uh, it's a really cool process. It's lengthy, but I think that's the way it should be. It's it's one of the greatest honors you can give a young man. Uh, playing college football so and that's been that way for 150 years so you know the all-american team holds a lot of weight yeah i mean how awesome is that you know you've been such a fan of college football your whole life and through your own diligence and hard work you've carved out a role for yourself to be part of the conversation like you said it's a humongous addition to any college football player's resume to be an all-american and now you're actively part of the process of selecting that that's got to be such a thrill for you yeah, it really is. It's humbling. I mean, uh, when you think of the sport of college football, I mean, you know, right away, you, in terms of accolades, you think Heisman and All-American. So to be a uh, voter on one and on the selection committee for the other, uh, 
No, it's incredible when you think about it. And, and the other thing, uh, you know, when I got invited on and I was looking at the, the roster of names, I mean, these are some of the best writers out there and all, all come from, you know, a lot of big companies or, you know, well-known newspapers and everything. And I'm thinking, man, I, I launched Trick 6 previews myself and uh, kind of <laughs> built this up with, you know, uh, engaging content on Twitter, radio shows, like a radio tour like crazy and really spread it. So uh, it was cool to see, you know, my name, but then, uh, you know, the comma, Pick 6 previews as my as my header. So, uh, just great, and, and a huge thanks to you know all the fans out there, all the followers, all the readers, the listeners, the radio hosts, uh, the podcast hosts, everybody, because you know it's been a great effort. Everybody on board since 2012, and and especially Nebraska fans. Uh, I'm sure you could tell from my Twitter uh, a lot of a lot of engagement with Nebraska fans, and and that's a, a two way street of respect because you know I'm based out in Pennsylvania, and if you're if you're not from a Penn State family, which I'm not. Uh, you know, it's mostly just pro sports talk. So to, so to find a fan base out there like this, like Nebraska, that loves college football with as much passion and knowledge as me, you know, I, you know, there's a, there's an attraction there. So, uh, you know, I give you guys a lot of good you know, coverage and attention because you guys love it. I mean, I'm not going to go cover Cal and Stanford as, as hard as I will, <laughs> you know, uh, Nebraska. So uh, just know it's a, it's a mutual respect there and I appreciate all the, you know, all the followers. Unlike the last couple times that you've joined us, uh, where we kind of started talking about Nebraska and then we moved our way out national, let's flip that around here and start with the 2020 season from a national standpoint. Obviously, we had COVID and, you know, what that played a role in last season. How much of last season do you consider to be, you know, almost an asterisk or do you add an asterisk to that season because of the pandemic? Zero percent asterisk. I refuse to think of it as an asterisk season because, you know, these programs aren't just one or two guys that may or may not have opted out. These are 85 scholarship athletes, full staffs. Um, and obviously, I'm not downplaying the obstacles they went through. I thought it was incredible, the sacrifice each one of them gave up, uh, the bubble that they had to go through for, what, nine months, some of them. Uh, so just incredible and, and a testament to the sport that they all sacrificed so much. What I'm getting at is, you know, it takes more than just one guy to, to win a, a championship or win a conference and win games. And, you know, for those guys, there's no asterisk in my, in my opinion. So... Uh, they all went out and earned it, and um, I'm not looking at it that way. But on a national scale, I mean, it, it, you know, a lot of the national guys out there, you'll quickly see that they're tired of the same chalk at the top, and oh, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and, and yeah, part of that is true. But uh, the beauty of the sport is you can find some great stories when you peel back that first layer. And you, when you dig into it, Texas A&M, highest finish since the 30s. Uh, mm-hmm. Iowa State at number nine, their highest finish ever. And then you have teams like BYU back highest since the 90s for them. And how about the two Big Ten teams, Northwestern and Indiana, who together probably have three or four four-stars total. And uh, they, they, they make great runs. They're, their best finishes in decades. So there's a lot of great stories to be had uh, beyond the usual just complaining about Alabama at the top. I totally agree with you because part of the beauty of college football is it isn't just – it's not just this one big thing. Is There's so many stories within the stories. You've got – you know, these kids out there trying their hardest to get just to get on the field. And some of these programs just trying their hardest just to just to play games. There was a lot of compelling stories this year and a lot of really good ones throughout the season. Um, and I mean, I remember last year at this time, we were just kind of begging and hoping we'd have a season. So, I mean, at, at one point I, I said, I don't care if we won a game as long as we played. Now that changed quickly. But, you know, <laughs> but like college football no, needed so to be though. played. Um it's so true because even uh, we're talking about accomplishments of the season. How about before the season where it was Nebraska and Ohio State and, and really Iowa 
the three that really banded together, maybe some folks from Michigan, maybe, but those three really fought hard. And, and look, you guys, I noticed it being on Twitter, Nebraska, for whatever reason, took so much extra flack from these blue checks, these national blue check guys. And uh, I tried to push back on it a bit because, you know what, these kids, they're not going out and, and saying, hey, we're going to go undefeated, let us play. They're saying, let us compete. Well, you know, win or lose or draw, let's go compete. That's the whole beauty of the sport. And, um, so I respected what Nebraska was doing, albeit vocal, but hey, it's it was it was the one to, the, the desire to compete, and I know that that really upsets uh, some of the the blue checks out there, and they wanted to get some quick hits on, and and that's still continuing. Even today, I saw one. Um, I, I retweeted it. So we get somebody joking about the Nebraska Oklahoma series coming up, and now oh. Uh, they, they shouldn't have agreed to this 10 years ago for whatever blowout they're going to get. And it's like, you know what? I bet 99% of Nebraska fans out there are excited for that series. And, and 99% of Oklahoma, too. Uh, win, loss, or draw. I mean, you, you want to go play an old rival like that, a respected rival. And, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of this, this laziness you see. And, and, and Nebraska was kind of the cheap target, unfortunately. So Yeah, the guy who wrote that was from Tennessee, of all things, uh, for The Athletic. And uh, oh, it was from The Athletic? That's weird. Yeah, crazy, huh? <laughs> but... Yeah, it's interesting. Mac and I were at Oklahoma last time that we played there, 2008. And, you know, look, I've seen two games in Norman, and and one of them, we blew them out in 1996 when Oklahoma was down. They blew us out in 2008, first year of Pelini, and they had a great team. Being a blue blood, it doesn't change from year to year. It is a historical kind of marker. Maybe we'll throw a little bit of this talk into it right now. You do a great thing every year, this annual poll on blue bloods. And Nebraska, again, this year... Uh, joined the ranks, was one of the eight teams that made it, had 63% uh, said yes, 37% said no out of 9,500 votes just on the Nebraska one alone. How do you feel again after doing this for another season, another offseason of Blue Blood votes, how do you feel where Nebraska kind of fit in and you know where we fit, I guess, into that national scene, the Blue Blood scene? Yeah, for sure. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, what this is to those that are on Twitter is, uh, you hear the, the term blue blood, you hear it argued about usually every January or February where, you know, it's cold and there's not any spring ball to talk about yet. And it's the same suspects of a program. So what I wanted to do is because it's a very inexact definition. I mean, I pulled 130,000 fans and you're going to get 130,000 different answers of what a blue blood means. So uh, I took it to a basic yes, no, a binary question, you know, is uh, is X school a blue blood? Yes or no. And took the law of large numbers to see the results and, and the good thing is, um, it's kind of stood the test of time. I've done this four straight years now. Each year, there's a distinct pack of eight schools at the top, uh, a large drop-off to the rest. And, and those eight uh, are Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, USC, Michigan, Nebraska, and Texas. And then you see a large drop-off to the other, you know, the, from ninth down, you know, Penn State, the Florida schools, LSU, and, and Georgia, and so forth. So, And what I liked about it is, People, uh, people's definition of blue blood, it isn't year to year, really. Uh, these teams stay constant through ups and downs. I mean, you'll have Notre Dame go undefeated, and you'll have Nebraska and uh, Michigan have losing seasons last season. And really, the percentages stay the same. And I think that, that, that really ties into what the definition means for most people. It's generational. It's it's historic. It's not a you know flavor of the month kind of thing. And and then the, the counter to that is, yeah, Clemson is still pretty low. It, they're, they're drawing about 20%. So... Uh, while that that upper eight I just talked about is sixty five percent or more, so mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's a very interesting thing. It's inexact, but I, I wanted to get the you know the public perception because that's really what it is. It's a perception item. Well, you know, one of the things I thought that speaks to our our fans 
I guess, opinion of our blue blood status was kind of what you had mentioned before about, I don't think any Nebraska fans were under any illusion that we were going to challenge for a national championship this year or that we were even maybe going to win the Big Ten. We just wanted to play football. And I, I was personally just kind of shocked at the blowback by that. And, you know, like the mocking comments about what's Nebraska think they're going to win. I'm like, it had nothing to do with winning a bunch of games. It had everything yeah. to do with just playing and the experience of, of rooting and cheering for our team. That's what we love to do. That's what that's what the fall is all about for us around here. So I was like, I was really taken aback by some of the flack we were getting. And it was, and it's funny what, what hard times, you know, make strange bedfellows. And all of a sudden we were you know, being championed by Ohio State and Iowa, you know, yeah. and, and I really feel like that more than anything might have got us, you know, there was some division in the Big Ten this year, certainly from from the commissioner to some of the programs. But, you know, I really felt a bond with some Ohio State fans yeah. this year and another, you know, another blue blood who totally understood what we were doing. Yeah, and even a bond with the, the enemy across the river in Iowa. You know, there's a connection that Nebraska made with Big Ten there that I actually think strengthened us in that conference, not the other way around. Not some of the people saying that we should leave and go to the Big 12, uh, as some people were saying at the time. Uh, That was the problem that we had in the Big 12, where we were on the opposite side of a lot of 1 to 11 votes. The Big 10, you know, it took them a while to come around, but eventually what Nebraska was fighting for, what Ohio State, what Iowa were fighting for, ended up being what happened. And I'm glad they did, because if they didn't, we'd be playing football right now along with, you know, North Dakota State and Southern yeah. Illinois. <laughs> yeah, I think it really took a, a strong, uh, you know, unified program to, to do what Nebraska did. It, was, uh, it wasn't just a few players. It was the players, the parents, uh, the coaching staff, uh, you know, the admins, the, the chancellor. I mean, even had the state senator involved, I believe, and, mm-hmm. uh, just, and, and really obviously all the fans behind it. So to see a whole state moving in one direction, as Ross quotes and he says, uh, that was really neat to see. And uh, another thing, too, is, um, it's easy once the momentum's going to kind of hop on the board of, hey, yeah, we should play, we should play. But to be the first and to take all that flack when it was, you know, and to go against the consensus of the conference at the time, you know, that took some guts. So I, mm-hmm. I respect them for it. And again, it wasn't like Max said, it wasn't a beating of the chest saying, let us play, we're going 12 and 0. You know, it was really none of that. So it was on the principle alone of wanting to compete. And, you know, anyone that's played sports before, any level, any sport, you should you should uh, empathize with that. You should want to be on their on their side. So it was just interesting to see uh, you know how long it took some people to join when it was safe. The idea to go, pl- I mean, not safe as in health concern. I'm saying the safe opinion to kind of hop in with this. So a uh, lot of respect to Nebraska, I think. Well, let's get to the season here, and I'm looking at your your 2020 season preview, and you hit on a lot of things here. I mean, I look at your Final Four, and you had Clemson, you had Ohio State in there, but you also had Oregon and Florida. So. You hit on some things, and maybe there's some things that surprised you out of that. What are some of the biggest takeaways that you take from last year, and where do you think you really hit something on the head, and what were generally some things that surprised you? Yeah, for sure. I have uh, plenty of both, uh, I think, on the good side. Um, so Stassen.com, you had mentioned them. They, they do the, uh, the accuracy grading of all the publications, you know, newspaper, uh, online, and newsstands. And uh, so according to their formula, I was the number one in the country prediction in the ACC and the SEC. So I took on two conference titles there. I uh, was number one FBS overall. So nice. uh, wow. in terms nice of job. prediction accuracy, conference standings wise, I, I did really well. Um, but, you know, I, I had some misses. Like you said, I was really disappointed with Oregon. I thought I kind of found a, a gem in the rough or a diamond in the rough with Oregon. Um, you know, they looked really strong at the end of 2019. Their defense brought back a lot of guys. Uh, they brought in, I think, the best coordinator hire of that offseason with Joe Moorhead. 
and really they just came out flat. They, they never looked like the dominant team I had expected. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, they had some opt-outs, but back to my no asterisk point, you know, they, they're the, the five-year leader in recruiting up there. So they should have had guys stepping in and dominating this Pac-12 team. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was a miss. Uh, another miss was kind of a half miss because with Florida, I did pick them to win the SEC East. Most people had Georgia, so that was a win. But then I did uh, I took it a, st- a step too far and had them winning the whole conference, uh, beating Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I thought that their offense would be as elite as it was. I think I hit that. But I didn't think the defense would absolutely collapse, and mm-hmm. I, I could have never guessed that. Third year under Todd Grantham, a guy who's had success everywhere, and, and they recruited a high clip too there. So I thought that uh, it'd be a more complete team. Turned out it was just the offense first and, and, and really pass-heavy. So couldn't get it done in the SEC title. So it came up close, but short there. Well, you know, you also had a tweet right after the season. I think you hit it right on the head here. Every Nick Saban recruiting class since 2000 has won a national championship. That's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> I just, I, I guess that the the moral of that is we should none of us should ever ever pick against Nick Saban ever again, right? I mean, that is yeah. insane. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, and even when in a year where they lost a lot of guys to the draft, I guess that happens every year for them. Um, you know, losing Tua. You know, we only saw Mac Jones. Uh, you know, thinking back to this prediction, you, you only saw uh, Mac Jones for two or three games at the end of 2019, and a lot of it was horizontal passing. You didn't really get to see that vertical game until the bowl game against Michigan. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, the, the talent rises to the top, especially I think even in a, a weird year with no spring ball and no summer. Uh, I think just uh, you know the, the coaching advantage they have and the, the, the raw talent advantage was just too much, and it turned into. You know, one of the all-time great teams. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, so uh, some hits, some misses, but that, that's the beauty of this thing is uh, there's so many things to cover. Well, let's talk a little Big Ten and Mac. You were reading over the the preview, and one of the hits that Brett definitely had was uh, Northwestern. You thought? Well, I remember us asking you for a, a wild card last year, kind of like what we saw in Minnesota the year prior, and you specifically mentioned Northwestern, which you know ended up having a heck of a year, and I just thought. That was a pretty dang good. Well, pick. coming off of what a three-win yeah, season, I, I think. mean, and it, I mean, I think you had a maybe fourth or fifth going into it, but you said that's a team that has you know kind of a, a wide range, and you could see them doing very well, and they absolutely did. No, for sure, and thank you for bringing that up um, and uh, giving the credit there. So when you talk about the prediction accuracy, their, their formula at Staston, it's it's who's closer to being right, if you will. So when I had Northwestern fifth, that might not sound great, but you know they were unanimously picked six or seven dead last in the Big Ten West. So mm-hmm. uh, to me, that's a two-point pickup. I mean, that, that's a that's a win when you look at it relatively. So, yeah, that was nice. Uh, coming in, it was kind of a toss-up for that fifth spot between it was Northwestern, Purdue, and Illinois. Um, really, when you dig into Northwestern 2019, what, what kind of fueled that pick was um, they were so banged up at quarterback. Uh, injuries all over the place. They were young. Um, and really a lot of, you know, it almost sounds like Nebraska, but a lot of close losses and turnover games, kind of flukiness. So, mm-hmm. you know, that formula together with uh, Pat Fitzgerald, you know, one of the best staffs out there, he did make an offensive coordinator change that I think was needed. Uh, but then to bring in Peyton Ramsey, a proven, proven quarterback who, I mean, you guys had seen him, I think, against Indiana, Nebraska, Indiana, but he yeah, was Yeah, we uh, know him well. <laughs> in, yeah, Indiana's school record holder for pass accuracy. So I figured, all right, right away, yeah, rather than their four-string guy that they had a quarterback, Marty, at the end of 2019, they had Peyton Ramsey. So right away, that's a mm-hmm. fix. They brought in uh, Bennett Skronik, the receiver from Notre Dame. So I saw a lot of things trending up, a lot of those close wins to, to or losses to reverse, and you know it came true. Now, I could have never predicted a Big Ten West title, but uh, you know, out of that uh, bottom tier, I, I, I hit that, uh, you know, that, that pick there. Mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, you are a Heisman and a Bulitnikov voter. Uh, who'd you vote for for uh, each of those? Well, I, I did say I'll, I'll never reveal the Heisman pick year to year, so that one's off the table. Okay. Now, at, at receiver, obviously, uh, that was an easy one. Uh, you know, to see a receiver that incredible, uh, we haven't seen it. I mean, when you look at his stats per game, um, you know, because it's, it's hard in a short season, too. I, I can't imagine if all these players had a full 14, 15 games, but when you look at it at a per play and a, and a, and a per game, uh, one of the best receiving seasons ever. So, but yeah, I, I think when you look at it, I've said this on shows too at, at Heisman, just to have that Heisman ceremony was kind of a, you know, it, it felt extra special this year. Not that it was together or virtual, but just the, the fact that we had made it through a season. You know, everyone on Twitter was saying it wouldn't happen, everyone out there. So the fact that we got to that point and were able to crown a Heisman and crown conference champs and a national champ, I mean, like I said earlier, a testament to all the players out there that sacrificed so much. So a lot of deserving candidates. Uh, you could have made a great case for all five of the finalists, but um, yeah, I'm just glad we made it through and and, uh, and respect everybody that, that suited up this year. Mm. I do have a question. This is just this is my own ignorance here. As a Heisman voter, is there like an etiquette behind being like a Heisman voter so, where you don't say yeah, it? Yeah, so the only yeah the only explicit etiquette out there is you're not supposed to reveal your vote until the selection ceremony because back in the day you'd okay. have guys uh, leaking that and, and I don't know. But yeah, so the rule is you're not supposed to reveal at least to, to uh, through the ceremony. But uh, just personally, I'm I'm keeping that close to the vest because I mean, look, you, you know how Twitter is, you know how everyone is. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone will find fault in your pick, you know, and it's such a personal award, so. Uh, I just feel like there's no benefit to it, really. So it is what it is. You see a lot of uh, a lot of voters right away jump out on Twitter and, and release who they had, and that's that's totally fine. That's legal and everything. So uh, just preference. I mean, I don't really feel the. I don't. I don't see any benefit in releasing it. I'll just you know upset ninety percent of people for whatever reason. <laughs> in this day and age, it is easy to do. So I don't. I do not blame you at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to move on here to a tweet you did on February fourth. And it was about coaching salaries. And this, and it included a little bit of Nebraska to it. This is just amazing to me. You wrote, Clemson is paying $2 million for their OC and two point four for their DC. But just 10 years ago, that $2.4 million would have been a top 10 head coaching salary. Wow. And where it ties in Nebraska, as you said, 25 years ago, the nation's premier head coach, Osborne, was making 140000 a season. Is that sustainable? Is that a good thing for college football? Or is that becoming too much like pro ball? Uh, what what are your thoughts there? It's just pretty crazy to see that number stacked up. Because um, I'm not even talking 50 years ago. I'm saying 10 years ago. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are all still coaches and stuff. So just the you know the the sharp increase in the salaries. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Hey, market market determines someone's value. So hey, but what I'm getting at is just the the numbers about it. Um, the TV deals have just gone exponentially through the roof. Um, and let's, let's call a spade a spade. It's, it's the TV money that really shaped this new conference realignment. And, um, I'm sure this is music to, to you and your fans ears, but I miss the old conferences, man. I miss the old rivalries. We just talked Nebraska, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. miss the old big 12. Um, you know, uh, for my region, it was the big East and all that. So I don't know. A lot of these traditional rivals are now, you know, they were uprooted and thrown to, you know, scattered across the country and now forced with fake trophies and, um, and the, the, the real reason, obviously, was TV money. So it is what it is. It's the time we live in now. It's, it's dominated by the TV dollar. Um, and the other thing is, whatever these schools bring in, they have to spend out. So uh, you, that's why you see this boom in facilities. Um, obviously, it's for recruiting, too. But, you know, you bring in all this extra TV money. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be spent outward, too. So uh, it's just the, the scale of this of this stuff is crazy. So. 
but honestly, I don't think that it, uh, that part of it, I don't think the money part of it really changes the the product as much as what we're going to talk sooner uh, on the show is the transfer portal. But it's just kind of uh, crazy to when you stack 10 years ago. Well, let's talk about that transfer portal and let's get into the offseason. Yeah. And we've talked about this uh, at nauseum here the last couple redcasts. Uh, one of our Twitter friends, uh, Husk Guys, uh, they tweeted out something the other day saying there are 134 QBs currently listed in the transfer portal. There are 130 FBS teams. And, you know, the numbers are a little hard because, Mac, we've heard everything from 1,200 to 1,600 to 2,000 in the, yeah. the portal. I don't know what the exact number is, but we just know it's high. And when you hear things like that, it, this seems crazy. And, Mac, you were saying this before we got on. Brett was the last well, time yeah, we talked yeah. with them. Well, Brett, you'd mentioned it because we talked about how it was going to be hard to recruit these guys because, the, the, you know, the dead period being extended, not being able to take visits. You you predicted it was going to be a ton of transfers and decommitments. And now with the, you know, with the advent of the transfer portal, it is absolutely the Wild West out there. And, you know, it's nothing It's nothing anyone's ever seen before. So, you know, whoever the early adapters are to this this new system of, of getting players – all is the better for them, you know, but what, what are your thoughts on this? Like, how do you, how do you see this playing out? Yeah. So I, I think this more so than the the TV money, I think this really is the, the thing that's going to alter the sport uh, on a big scale here, because, you know, you'd always had transfers in the past and, you know, you'd have to, you have to sit out a year if you, if you move to the same level or you could play immediately if you move down a notch. Uh, and a lot of times it was, you know, a backup player here and there or a kid that wanted to move closer to home. And I get that. And that's, that's totally fine. But we're talking about star players, we're talking starters. Um, you know, to touch on the Husk guys tweet, which by the way, great follow. Uh, I uh, I remember reading their their column way back in the day, but um, <laughs> great work by them on Twitter. But um, yeah, so out of the quarterbacks alone, I just did a scan. There's at least thirty guys in there, thirty quarterbacks that had started a game at the Power Five level. These mm-hmm. are Power Five starting quarter thirty. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it might have been a game or two. It might have been a couple. Charlie Brewer's a four year starter from Baylor. He's transferring. So it's just. Um, it's just crazy. So I think of it this way, and it's such a tough topic because I can see, you know, there's positives to everything and there's negatives to everything. And I think that these players, they give so much that, yeah, I think they should be able to, to move and play where they want in college. That's totally fine. But I wonder though, that the same thing, if moving all the time and hopping around is in the overall detriment to their careers, but then also just their college experience. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't going to go pro. And um, I wonder if you're hopping around two, three, four times between colleges. I mean, are you really getting a college experience at that point? And I, I know every single situation is different. Um, just on a you know, on a higher level, I just wonder what this is doing. It's it doesn't seem natural when you talk about two thousand players that are hopping schools this off season. I don't know. Yeah. So it, it's really tough to talk about because obviously you want what's best for the college athletes. You want them to have some freedom and, and able to move colleges. I mean, anyone can move colleges, but you just wonder if it's a societal thing where maybe the better case is to, you know, stay at the school and, you know, fight for a couple of years for a backup job and then a starting job and maybe a start as a junior or senior. Uh, but, but along the way have made a four or five year connection with your teammates and classmates and school and, and, and community. And I don't know, it's a, it's a tough situation. It's a tough topic, but you know, there's a lot of different layers to it more than just the trying to get a quick roster spot. I think that these, you know, their, their whole college experience is, is being altered. It's funny how as fast as college football is changing, it, it turns you into a get-off-my-lawn guy so quickly. Yeah. You know, it's like – because you do – I understand why there are certain 
circumstances where these players need to be able to transfer out, maybe a coaching mm-hmm. change, maybe a family crisis at home. There's certainly circumstances that you're like, yeah, they should absolutely be able to do that. But there are just as many stories out there of guys who had to stick it out and grind it out, and they'll tell you that it was the best thing for them, though they hated it at the time. And I don't know, like, which one's better, you know, who who is better served. And you're right, Brett, the college experience, it's about growth, it's about the grind, it's about becoming a, a young man and and learning what you're, what you're made of. And this, that's just the world today, you know, the instant gratification, the instant satisfaction. I mean, I think we play into it a lot. I think recruiting, the way we roll out the red carpet for these young guys, when they finally get to campus and realize what a grind it is, maybe they're not ready for it. I, I don't have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. It's just you all see right. you see all these things and you wonder, are we doing these young men a service or or are we making it too easy for them to ultimately flame out? Well, look at the last two national championship quarterbacks. And I think it's two examples of guys that took different paths. And I think both did it the right way. Joe Burrow... Gave it his all at Ohio State for three full years. He wasn't going to be the guy there. He made a you know a move not too quickly. In fact, I think he had already graduated Ohio State, if I remember right, and that's why he had two years at, at LSU. But he makes that move to LSU. He went to the right fit, and he wins a national championship in his second season there. I mean, a lot of patience shown. Look at the patience shown last year by Mac Jones behind Jalen Hurts, behind Tua, mm-hmm. you know, to stick it out all those years too. There is a value in both – and there's a way you can use both. Mm-hmm. But when we see the stats of right now that 72% of the players that are currently in the transfer portal haven't found a new school yet. And that number is a couple of weeks old, so I don't know what the percentage is now. There's been more guys that have been added into the portal since that time. But it's changing fundamentally how the how yeah. the college experience, how the college game is. And I I don't know, man. I don't love it. And at the end of the day, I really do want what's best for the players. Yeah, I do. I want them to have the best experience to do the the most they can. I don't know what the right answer for that is, but it's not because I want you to stay at Nebraska because it, I'm a Nebraska fan. I, like, I'm rooting right. for these players to do the right thing, but I don't know that they're always getting the best counsel on this. You know, there's different camps telling these guys different things. And I mean, if there's one thing a, a college program could do, it's it's probably educate these guys on what the real reality is of college football transferring and and trying to jump ship and seeing where you can go to, to immediately play. I just don't think that's the reality. And I think these guys need to be made more aware of that. All right. Well, let's move on now to, I think, what the, the Redcasters out there really want to hear. And that is Nebraska. You got to give the people what they want. <laughs> Absolutely. What? <laughs> Where are we going? You know, and what we want to hear is nothing but good news. By the way, please, Brett. So tell us, tell us, we're going to win it all next year, right? But um, the big red Kool Aid. That's right. <laughs> I'm okay with some Kool Aid. Rose colored glasses. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with that right now. But I want to start with a stat that we've used a number of times on this show here over the last couple of months, and it's that you know, Inu has had the second most amount of one score losses nationally over the last three years. Twelve games. Uh, we've used that to indicate how close Inu is but also how we need to find ways to limit all those key errors, the turnovers, penalties, the high snaps, a lot of the things that probably play away into your game grader formula. And we need to find a way to, to and I'm saying this in quotes because Frost has said it, get over the hump. 
And I think this is where, you know, the, the Husker realists and the Husker optimists, the Kool-Aid drinkers and the ones that hate the Kool-Aid, this is where they fight over it, is that are we really that close? Is it just we need to get over the hump? Or fundamentally, are we further away than just being, you know, one-score losses to these teams? Are we Northwestern where we can go from three wins to, to winning the, the division? Or is it a longer build even than that, in your opinion? So with that kind of as the, the basis, where is Nebraska right now going into year four of Frost? Yeah, well, there's a lot there, and, and we've spoke about this uh, after Frost's first year and second year, and it was things, you know, mistakes that you'd expect out of a young team, a transitional team, uh, a new staff, that kind of thing. But to see it continuing in year three, I don't know. It might be more structural. It might be a, a deeper rebuild than, than anyone could have imagined. Now, I'm not even I'm not even going to touch uh, the hot seat talk. I think Frost is still the guy. I, I have full trust there. I just think there might be some tweaks that have to happen. I mean, uh, watching some game tape of Nebraska, the offense, there, there's some things that are off there. I mean, they never throw uh, they never throw over the middle of the field. I mean, you never see a slant or a seam route or uh, you know anything vertically really. Uh, it's all the, a lot of swing passes horizontally. Um, and then another thing I noticed too is on, on third and third and distance, whether it be third and ten or third and short, this, the play calls don't really align. And um, that might be music to your, your fans' ears, but just say it's third and ten. I, I see them throwing a four-yard pass, and it's tackled for a gain of five. Or, um, you know, third and 13, and they throw that same horizontal swing pass that gets two yards. Or mm-hmm. oftentimes, it's not even completed. I mean, it's yeah. these are 99% uh, balls where you're throwing horizontally. And they're, they're dropped, they're underthrown. Or an Illinois game, the first play of the game, Luke McCaffrey, oh, this like, weird fumble, horizontal pass. Like I don't know. It just seems like a dysfunctional offense. And... I don't know what the uh, what the cure is. I mean, you've had a lot of four stars come through at the skill positions, and uh, for whatever reason, to talk transfer portal, but uh, all of them are gone now. It just doesn't make sense. So mm-hmm. I don't really have an answer. Um, you know, hopefully uh, some of these additions here. Uh, you know, I think I think the tight end room is a strength. Um, I think the offensive line started to take a turn last year. Now it was more veteran. You know, I, I think they're going to get better run push. I think Marquis Step coming in is a power runner. Now, I don't think he's a 20-carry game workhorse or a, a home run threat, but that might help in some of this short yardage, which uh, that is another issue. So what I'm getting at here, all these little things, you know, um, you know, third down conversions, uh, short yardage, red zones have been atrocious. I don't need to say that. I mean, uh, red zones and goal line, that, that kind of stuff. So those, those might sound small, but uh, when all of them are broken, it's really a broken offense. So, mm-hmm. um I don't know. And, and when you think back to this offense when it was at its peak uh, at Oregon and some of his UCF teams, you know, they, they went hyper tempo and they had a couple core competencies, you know, core competencies they were incredible at. You know, they, they were guaranteed a seven yard game. If they just slash up the middle or, you know, a quick zone read for eight. Um, I don't know. I don't think Nebraska has a staple you know, set of plays yet. And um, I think they're trying to make it be that quarterback power. And, um, you know, Martinez is he's really elusive at times. He's flashy. He'll, he'll gain you some incredible plays, but then he'll fumble a lot. So, um, you know, the turnover, I, I'm just going on a rant here, but I'm sure it's music to your ears. But um, I don't know. It, it's a tease because there's so many great things you see. You see flashes, but it's just never the course of 60 minutes. Yeah, that's the thing I think that Mac and I really focused on a lot last year during the season was that, look, I mean, me personally, I love a quarterback run game. I love the option. I love that, right? But the option quarterbacks of of old, of the 90s, they weren't running the ball 20 and 25 times a game either. And the reliance that we got on Martinez at times where, you know, we were six, seven games in the season and our top three rushers, none of them were running backs. That's the problem. It was Martinez, it was McCaffrey, and it was Wondell Robinson. 
And, you know, we went into the season hearing a lot about the bell cow that was going to be Dedrick Mills. And through a number of reasons, injuries and so on, Mills didn't end up being that bell cow. But we also didn't have other bell cows that could fill in. And and so with Step coming in uh, from USC, he's going to be here all offseason. I think that's helpful. But, Mac, we've talked a lot about that we need three. Three guys in that running back room that we feel we can go deep where any one of those guys at any point could run the ball 20 plays in any one game at any given time, right? I mean, we need that kind of depth out of that position or else we end up falling back on it has to be Martinez. Yeah, the the big thing for me, I guess, going forward, if if there's going to be a fix, because I do agree we have to be able to throw vertically. And I do think maybe the tight ends are the way we get that done this year, especially with the addition of like a Fedoni and the uh, and the emergence of Austin Allen, who I do think is is going to be a, a legit threat on the field. The problem was when we took Dedrick Mills off the field as our running back, we immediately moved our slot receiver to running back, and that to me it was just like a nightmare. I'm like, we're going to put the the five ten, 180 pound guy in a goal line. I'm like, I just don't like that in the Big Ten, and you know. I'm not trying to say Wandell leaving is a good thing because he was an explosive player, but I do like the idea that he's not available to be at the goal line running back, <laughs> you know, anymore. We have to, I don't know. And I don't, I'm not going to make, like you said before, it's an, I'm not going to call it an asterisk season, but we, the lack of the spring ball and the lack of our traditional fall ball hurt the development of our, because we had some young freshman running backs to develop behind Diedrich Mills in that, in that never materialized over the season and I think that killed us and no bowl in 2019 too you missed all those 15 bowl practices so it just compounds a problem um but yeah yeah I I think it's just uh sometimes it's bizarre to watch because like for a quarter a quarter and a half this offense looks unstoppable I mean Martinez looks like uh his freshman version of himself and he's running for 15 and then Mm -hmm. and then passes are more open and everything but but then for long stretches of the game, I mean, there's just no passing attack at all. There's no even you know, throwing at the seams or throwing at the sticks. Uh, like I said, I just the uh, some of the down and distance calls just didn't make sense. And mm-hmm. I know it sounds like a like a Monday morning quarterback, but you don't see that as much in other programs. It's just uh, something different. Now, you know, different can work, um, but it just has. It's been just a little off, and the turnovers are brutal. Um, you know, specifically looking at turnovers, the Illinois game, five turnovers. Oh, yeah, the team that just uh, you know showed up, it looked like they didn't want to be there. I'm uh, so sloppy, and that was a really a, a point of the season where I thought, okay, let's look at it. You, you lost to Ohio State, a team that I don't think you really expected uh, to win, um, but really I, I think played better than the score would show. Mm-hmm. So I, I was almost just throwing that one out as like not even a negative, just kind of a, a neutral. All right, and then the next week Northwestern, that was the old uh, that was the old Nebraska where you probably should have won the game. I mean, had all these red zone opportunities, goal line spots. Um, and just really won the, the, the field position, uh, plus 150 in, in yards, and then just come up short. So that was like another just classic Nebraska loss. But still at that point, you're thinking, this is still, I think, a decent team. Then you beat Penn State, a uh, nice win. So I thought you're starting to turn the corner, and then the Illinois game, really, that's the one that gets me where, and it wasn't even competitive. I mean, Illinois really blew them out. Yeah. Um, blew them out in the first half. Turnovers, just, uh, I don't know. So... I don't know where to go from it. Uh, we'll see. Uh, now, I think, like you said, a full offseason will help everyone, but I think it will help Nebraska a bit more. Uh, a fourth year of staff continuity is huge. Uh, you had mentioned that Frost kept the whole staff together. 
Um, tight ends, you, you stole my thunder there. I was going to bring that up specifically because uh, I think that Sean Becton, I've heard great things from him. I know Damon Benning speaks highly of him uh, as a developer, not just a developer, but a relationship guy. And I think you're going to see more, I, I'd hope, uh, more attacking with the tight ends. Just go over the middle with these guys. you got some big frames now. Um, you know, try and use them to your advantage. So I think there's definitely room for growth. And, uh, you know, to, to put the optimist spin on it is, yeah, you are so close, even despite all these – um, you know, mental breakdowns or just turnovers or some short play calls, all that stuff, you're still pretty close in these losses. So um, you said they were the, the second most or the most in one-score losses. Um, you know, that stuff tends to even out year to year. So hopefully you're banking on three years of that here. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're due for like a 1998 Tennessee season where literally like nine of the 12 games are fluky wins. So I will take um, every fluky win I can get. You definitely do. I'll, yeah. t- I'll take 12 fluky wins next season. Um, yeah, just but, pull off a, Fitzgerald, a, Pat, a Pat Fitzgerald season. I mean, he, he does it every other year. And it's like fluke seasons. We'll need that, right? Well, you know, we are we did get bigger, and I, I'd like to talk about trends for a second. One of the trends that we're seeing is, you know, at that receiving core in the last eighteen months, we brought in seven guys that are six foot two or taller, and we've gotten bigger. You know, big athletic tight ends. You know, Fedoni and Rollins and Carney to join Austin Allen and Travis Vokalek. You know, we've got big guys there. Step from USC, he's a bigger running back than than what Dedrick Mills even was. So big players across the board. In addition to our O line, which has been getting 6'6 and taller dudes. I mean, one of the biggest O-line recruiting over the course of the last three years nationally. So, you know, Frost, when he got here, he said, you know, he hopes the Big Ten adjusts to us. I think he's adjusting to the Big Ten by by getting size. But I guess one of the points that we've made a lot, and this is where I'm interested maybe in the, the game grader formula, is that we talk a lot about execution and the mistakes. And the mistakes are turnovers, penalties. We've had snaps going over quarterbacks' heads. It's mind-boggling. And it gets to the point where if we don't fix those mistakes – it really doesn't matter how big we are. We're going to be the biggest team in the country that still goes three and nine (laughs) if we can't fix those mistakes. How does your game grader formula assess where we are at from like a a mistake standpoint? Well, first uh, to the roster complexion, like you said, going size, I think a nice template is Iowa state uh, with Matt Campbell, what they built there is uh, they really went tall and long at the receivers and tight end spots um, and then have a big workhorse there running back. So, and that's worked. I mean, if you watched uh, the, their series against Oklahoma, I know they split one and one, but the, the time they beat them, the key was that they were winning all these one-on-ones. They had like a, a five or six inch advantage over the Oklahoma DBs. Um, so I think that the size is definitely a great thing to have. And like I said earlier, it might be time to tweak that offense a bit. So um, not completely, but, you know, small tweaks here and there might make the difference. So I'm excited to see that. But uh, to speak to game grader, yeah, what that, what that is is, um, you know, I, I dig a little deeper than just the final score. You see a score come across in the ticker. You don't really know exactly what happened that day in that game. I mean, you could have had a team that, you know, outgained the other by 300 yards and still lost, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so what my game what my game grader formula does, it, it pulls in all the, you know, the box score stats, in-game stats, obviously scoring margin, but then yardage differential, per play metrics, turnovers. Um, so not specifically about turnovers, but it's in there. Uh, kind of an ugly year, game grader-wise, for Nebraska. They finished 51st out of the 66 Power 5 uh, teams. That's good for 10th in the Big Ten, but 6th in the West. And, and that's really the kicker right there. Yeah. I mean, these are programs that, if you're Nebraska, I think that you should be consistently at least on par or beating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the Minnesotas of the world, you gotta you got to take care of them. Uh, Illinois, you know, you can't allow Illinois to come into Memorial Stadium and blow you out. It's just, it's stuff like this that um, it, it shouldn't sound shocking, but I mean, 10 years ago, it's hard to believe. So, 
that's where you got to start to turn around. At least start to win the West and, and be competing with Iowa and Wisconsin for West titles every year. I mean, that, that should be the baseline. So now to, to look at it offensive defense wise, what I also do is uh, I have a different number, a, a per play percentile. Where you, what I do is you know, I break it down per play because you have your Big 12 offenses that go 80, 90 snaps a game, Big 10, maybe 55, 60 snaps a game. So taking pace out of the equation. Uh, per play and uh, opponent adjusted. I know that sounds like a word salad, but uh, basically a way to kind of uh, put all those things in. And yeah, the defense did improve. Uh, the defense improved from 2019. In fact, it's actually improved every year since 2016. So you're building up uh, some improvements there. Now it's still you know improving, but it's still below average, right there, 40th 40th percentile. Uh, and then on offense, uh, you know, it, it dipped down uh, this year under uh, first year under Lubick. So, um, you know, it actually Frost's best offense was his first year, according to these numbers. So mm-hmm. um, a, a step back there. I don't think that's much surprise. Like you were saying, uh, so much reliance on a quarterback run game, uh, really no passing attack at all. It was really neutralized. So uh, I think the numbers would agree there. But, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see. So in my book, I have a 10-year graphic, um, you know, showing the offense and defense every coordinator the program's had and, and then their percentile to try and show the ebbs and flows and, you know, the good times and bad times. So it's interesting. Um, you know, that'll be in the book again this year. And, and really, I'm waiting for Nebraska's defense. So uh, I know this is – I might be jumping ahead. that You had talked – you want to talk to Nebraska defensive improvement. But, you know, it wasn't uh, – an incredible improvement from 19 to 20. But what I like is that that improvement was done with a pretty young uh, defense. A lot of these guys are back. I think Nebraska is second in the entire power five in defensive returning production, meaning this whole defense is back. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited mm-hmm. to see. I think that that big jump has to come here in 2021 defensively. I think you need to be, you know, one of the best defenses in the conference next year uh, yeah. you know, to, to, for this whole, for this whole formula to be, to be working. I think that that, you know, the numbers line up that there's, there's a trend, there's improvement coming uh, and you have all the experience back. So I think that's got to happen. And, you know, you talk about like with the game grader, when we played Northwestern, that was a team that we out yarded by a hundred, hundred and some plus yards, but one of those one score losses, right? I mean, that's, you can't just look at the final score. And you you watch the game and, and we're competing. You know, we lose to Iowa by six points in the last drive. We're competing against them on the field, but we're not competing against them in the win-loss column because you just can't keep losing games like this game after game after game. I mean, we've talked about on our show that progress for us would be getting into November and being in the discussion to win the, the division. It feels like it's been three or so years since – well, it has been three or so years, four years now since we've even – had that discussion. That's just crazy to me. Getting back to that, you touched on the defense a little bit. The struggles on offense have been well noted and and, and frustrating, <laughs> but the incremental improvement on defense has probably been the lone, you know, shining light to this for this program in the last three years. Special teams has been a mess. Offense has been sporadic, but the defense is somewhat improving. How much weight do you give that? You know, when you're projecting into next year, does defense mean more to you than the offense per se? If you're projecting, or is it is it kind of does it kind of balance each other out? Because I do feel like the way that Shenander's got these guys going, and especially the way we were kind of ending the season, uh, that was some of the best defense we'd played in a while. I mean, we seventeen of the top yeah, twenty guys we, coming back, and yeah. with everybody coming back, and and our size being important like our defensive line is of a big 10 size at this point and I think our linebackers are too and the secondary is old and salty so 
Is there any more weight given to that? I'm not I'm not begging you for a higher ranking, by the way, but I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the answer, it kind of uh, it varies. I mean, I don't really weigh one bigger than the other. What I look to is, you know, was there year-over-year improvement or, or continued improvement uh, in the stack categories and the numbers and the game grader, but then also looking at the personnel coming back. So that's a huge, huge part of it. So to see that Nebraska improved in, at a quick glance here, 10 of my 14 metrics, right, all the rushing numbers they improved in, yeah. all the overall numbers too, you know, the yards per play, points per play, scoring D, um, all that was an improvement. And then you look at that final line, returning production, you know, one of the highest returning production on defense this year. So uh, that's where really a trend can take off. So, uh, and I, I think that, you know, that's just the number speaking, but to put it back into the film and what you, what you guys actually watch, uh, think of end of 2019 and even the years prior, the run defense was really a struggle. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin mm-hmm. always puts up 300 plus yards and, but not, not, not just them, but Minnesota, I remember uh, in 2019, really just ran at will yep. in that snow game. So to see the run defense really make an improvement this year, I think was it was important. Uh, now, I'm not saying it was a top 10 rushing defense, but you know to improve by 30 or 40 spots in all these categories, I, I think is noticeable. And um, like I said, when you stack that with returning production, continuity on the staff too, because that's another key thing. And these guys, these guys aren't going in and learning a whole new scheme overnight. So yeah. I don't know. Those are the kind of the pointers I look at in, in Nebraska guys all three right now so i think defense it's got to improve i think it's gonna go off pretty nice well and those numbers too is it a little different because it was an all-conference schedule like you sometimes you can pad those stats a little bit with some non-con games but the fact is that we played our best competition well we played all conference the entire year starting off against ohio state and then northwestern and and so like that improvement over the year was good there was never that inflated stat at the beginning of the year where we had like six sacks against you know, directional state you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all relative. Um, like you're saying, where uh, you're kind of you're, you're compared against the other power fives anyway. So, for example, scoring D 2019, they gave up 28 per game. This year, it did get worse to 29, but the rank went up. Is what I'm getting at. So, uh, yeah. you know, they moved okay. they moved from 66 to 64. Gotcha. So, I look at the rank, not so much the raw number. Gotcha. Um, you know, because relative to everyone else, had to go through conference schedules That's and all true. that. So, That's true. you know, on a relative note, hey, it improved. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that point is valid. Also, got to be tough. I mean, just uh, anecdotally, to open up after that long, long stretch and then not much practice time. To, to open up against a Heisman finalist from the rear prior, Justin Fields, who was just, you know, playing with an All-American roster around him, just, it's got to be tough. So uh, the fact they battled even on from that point is uh, is impressive. So, yeah, I, I think that the defense is definitely pointing up. And um, hmm. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Nebraska show. I mean, the numbers and all the pointers I would look to, uh, you know, indicate that. Well, I think it's important if we're going to be in the Big Ten at success, you've got to be able to run the ball and you have to be able to stop the run. We've shown some ability to be able to run the ball, though we've, questioned you know the reliance on the QB run part of it we need the running backs to be able to run the ball here in this game but on defense we have progressively gotten better on stopping the run Uh, I think uh, you had us as number three in the country we're plus 45 in rush defense and every year under Frost we have improved in our yards uh, per carry defense so I mean there's trends it's getting better it's not great yet but at least that's in the right direction at that key stat there Mm -hmm. I mean we've got to be able to stop the run if we're going to have success Uh, in this conference. You know, one of the last bits here, we talked a little bit about continuity, the coaching staff for the first time under Frost, nobody's left. Uh, We've also elevated a couple of coaches to analysts that are uh, longtime coaches, Ron Brown on the offense, but also bringing in Bill Bush, who was just coaching at LSU, you know, a year ago, has a a ring from them. He's coached under 
uh, Urban Meyer. He's been at Nebraska before, and now he's come back as a defensive analyst, also uh, has a lot of special teams background, so hopefully that can help us in that key area. And the other thing that Nebraska has right now is we have 12 early enrollees this year, uh, which is the most in school history. It's also, by the account that we saw, the largest amount of anybody in the country. So we have a lot of continuity coming back. We also have a lot of early enrollees, people that are at least going to go through an offseason. And I, I think that that's so crucial right now. We've seen too many guys, even JUCOs and guys that are you know physically ready to play, if they don't have that offseason under their belt, if they get here in August, it's just so hard to step on the field and be a, an immediate contributor. Yeah, well, first with the early enrollees, I just I remember even just five years ago, that was the exception. It'd be like, wow, we have two kids in early. Those guys are going to get – now it's almost the inverse where it's like, man, like these guys have to get in early to really compete mm-hmm. and be effective that fall. So, And that's become the norm uh, for better or for worse. So uh, that's good. Uh, a quick note to continuity, and uh, we talked transfer portal already, not to rehash the whole thing, but uh, just a quick, you know, sky is not falling uh, kind of thing for Nebraska fans. I know there's nine guys transferring out. And again, like a kind of an easy target for the national media to hop right in. But the average, I, by my calculations, is 10 or 11 or 12 guys. So, I mean, a little bit right around average, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, at a quick glance, I looked at some ACC schools. I mean, UNC, you know, who just came off a great season, 18 guys transferring out. Uh, Florida State, who had a terrible season, 15 guys transferring out. So what I'm getting at is I don't think the number of guys leaving in this weirdest year ever uh, is really a referendum on anything more than uh, just, you know, the random movement of players. So um, it's not it's not a referendum on, uh, oh, culture is bad or, oh, the staff is broken. No, like, let's take a step back. You're even below it. Well, the the national average of transfers. I think what hurts is that it's uh, proven playmakers that are leaving at some spots. I mean, uh, even in my notes, obviously everyone knows Wondell Robinson, uh, but in my notes, I remember thinking, all right, this Fleming, he had a couple good games early in the year as a freshman or young guy. Uh, these are kind of those four stars that are starting to hit for Frost. This is looking good. And then, then even he, you see his name in the portal. So it's tough in that regard where it's, it's stars now, it's, it's starters, uh, and playmakers. But on an overall level, I think it's just uh, it's common to have nine guys leaving. Hey, Brett, on a personal note, I got to tell you, I truly, truly appreciate some of your tweets you put out there because I can always look at your tweets and go, that's a guy who's actually looked at our program and, and seen the roster movement and understands what's going on and doesn't overreact one way or the other. I, I've seen you go to bat for us so many times on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you how much that means to me because, I mean, we're not talking about – we're not talking about a local media guy, and I love all our local media guys. I'm not saying that, but you're you're a Heisman Trophy voter. You vote for the All Americans, and you look at it and you go, I, I don't know how many times you've you've gone to bat and said everybody's coming to Nebraska, and there's no reason for it. But I, it's so gratifying to see somebody on the national scale look at it and go, it's the sky isn't falling at Nebraska. There are some things that we're dealing that we are dealing with that's not out of the realm of what everybody else is dealing with. So. Thank you so much from that, and thank you so much for being on our show. I love having you on every year. This is such a highlight of our of, of our Redcast season. Oh, for sure. Thanks for the praise there. It's it's really twofold. I mean, number one is uh, just the respect I have for Nebraska and the people out there. I've, I've only been out the one game, but uh, and it was even in a, a down year, twenty eighteen. But still, you walk away from that place knowing that these are you know these are real fans, these are real people, real you know real Americans. They care about the sport, they love it, uh, they know their stuff, they're passionate about it. And, you know, whether it's ten and zero or zero and ten, they love their team and they're going to stand by it. So you know, a ton of respect that way. So when I see and, and, and the second part of this is I see some laziness from the national guys who might need a quick retweet or a quick uh, 
click clickbait. So, and that's an easy target right now. And, you know, so I, I'd like to, you know, in both ways, the respect I have for your base and your, and your fans and your program, but then also calling out some national laziness too. That's what really got me into fix six previews was, uh, yeah, I'm tired of just these guys on TV. who just talk about two or three teams and they don't know what they're talking about. So I'm, I'm here to fight now, fight for Nebraska and, uh, you know, the good people out there, but then also combat some of this laziness. So it's twofold. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, of course. Thanks for the praise and, and thanks for all the follows and, and, and invites on. And uh, hopefully, you know, come again this summer. We won't have the, the craziness from last summer. And, um, you know, we'll be able to talk a real season coming up and, and get more detailed into the 2021 forecast. Well, Brett, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Mac and I were sitting in my basement right now where I have uh, miniature helmets from virtually all the P5 and group of five teams. But uh, I got to tell you, you've taken the, the helmet game oh, to your, another I, level. I do love your mini helmet. Game. I mean, you've got high school helmets, multiple helmets from schools where they have alternative and like, you know, throwback games. How did you get into that and where do you get all those helmets? Yeah, thanks. Uh, the, you know, the, the helmets have been going great. Uh, so for anyone that follows on Twitter, what I do every uh, every Saturday in the fall is I tweet out what I call the helmet board, where I have the 20 biggest matchups of the weekend. I, I put the little helmets up there. You know, the left side is who I think is going to win and the right side who I think is going to lose. So, you know, I've been doing the, the helmet board for, what, 10 years now. And uh, every year I get questions, hey, how do you get those helmets? Do you sell them? And finally, something that, you know, a light bulb went off. Like, all right, why don't I actually do something with this? And, um, you know, it brings a lot of people some joy. I mean, Christmas season was big. Uh, selling these team throwback sets, like for Nebraska, for example, I have a nine helmet set and, you know, it's got everything since the sixties. You have the, the numerals on the helmet, uh, the old NU, uh, where it had NU on it. And, but think of that for each, each college program. And, um, you know, I started to take high school orders too. uh, some bulk sets for high school teams, you know, at, um, at senior awards night or, or team banquets, that kind of thing, or fundraisers and the whole bit. So, uh, the high school thing's been great. I, at this point I've designed about, 30 i think nebraska high schools most of class a and some class b um but uh hey any requests reach out uh they're you know, i think a relatively affordable thing and it's, it's something uh, a unique keepsake you know um so i've done a lot of nebraska high schools and, and colleges across the country so yeah it's really spread thanks for bringing that up uh it's been a great filler for the off season and uh excited to keep that going with uh, with high school teams going forward yeah I, I thought i saw millard north on your board one time did i did i not yeah, Millard North. Um, <laughs> who else do we have? Yeah, a couple of the Lincoln directional schools Creighton, there. Uh, Creighton Prep. Uh, oh, got, Creighton Prep with a Creighton Prep throwback too. We had a request to have the, the old navy blue. We got to get you a uh, Columbus Scotus one. Bluff, Mount Michael. Uh, do, do you know if you've done any of the Columbus ones? Uh, that's our hometown. Oh, uh, you know, I currently have a request in for uh, Columbus. They have like a, a ship anchor on their helmet, and it's kind of got anchor chains going down the middle. I think the Columbus Destroyers. That Discoverers. Discover. Yeah, a ton of high school orders. I think, you know, by this time when we talk again in the summer, hopefully I have the whole, you know, Class A set ready now for for, uh, for fans to, to browse around and look at and, and select. So. I know exactly what I'm getting you for Christmas, Brett. It's going <laughs> to be a Columbus Scotus helmet. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, we're Columbus Scotus guys, but uh, Columbus High also has the first recruit – just uh, announced here in the last week, uh, he's the first recruit of the 2022 class for Nebraska, Ernest Hausman. So he's a discoverer. He'll have that anchor uh, that you're talking about. So very cool. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. No, it's, it's been great, um, you know, expanding it to different states too. And uh, yeah, and like I said, also the, the, the bulk deals for high school is great. I mean, uh, you know, because you can only give out the same kind of things each year. I think for a nice change, a little personalized, you know, mini helmet, uh, I think players appreciate it. Coaches appreciate it. It's a good fundraiser too for some. So, uh, hey, uh, if you any requests at all, reach out. I'd, I'd love to 
to design it and get it added to the collection. That's Fantastic. so awesome. All right. Redcasters definitely take him up on that. I think Mac and I might take him up no, on I'm that. I'm going to take him up uh, on that. And Redcasters in general, uh, if you want to be following what Brett's doing at Pick Six Previews, uh, Twitter, what all are you on for uh, social media? Is it just Twitter or is it? Yeah, it's just Twitter. Uh, like like you guys said, it's at Pick Six Previews on Twitter and PickSixPreviews.com. Uh, that's real, you know, use that for the book in, in June and July. Uh, and in the meantime, I'll be getting more photos of these mini helmets up. Right now I have uh, some throwback sets up there. You can see about 20 colleges that I have designed, um, getting some FCS completed to the FCS conferences. And then eventually uh, over the summer, we'll get pictures of high schools up there. Now you can find those pictures of the high schools we mentioned They're on Twitter too. So mm-hmm. um, I'll be resharing those. But uh, yeah, as, as orders come in, I take pics and send them out and then you see what I've done. So it, it's been great. And yeah, thanks again. It's just at Pix Experience on Twitter. That's awesome. Fantastic, Well, as is tradition on the Redcast, uh, we give our guests the final parting shot of the day. So, Brett, the floor is yours. Well, I think we uh, we covered a ton here. This is probably the most in-depth spring uh, spring call I've done yet. I mean, for the most part, uh, my radio tour and podcast tour is uh, summer and then during the season when, you know, the book is done and all the research is in. So this is kind of a rare pre-research, pre-book uh, take. So it's been fun. I <laughs> uh, dug in a little bit to Big Ten film and prep for this and uh yeah i'm excited to let's let's recircle uh you know in a, in a few months and uh, i think we'll have another great talk as always so in the meantime you know stay healthy out there I'll, you know husker nation and continue to interact on twitter appreciate everybody and uh we'll talk soon fantastic highlight highlight of the season but appreciate it thanks Brad. thank you Hoda Media Production.